Hello again, listeners, and welcome to a special fashion-themed edition of the Just Checking In podcast. In this pod, we'll be talking about the biggest issues in the industry through a mental health lens. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. And as always, I'm your host, Freddie Cocker. In each Just Checking In pod, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they're passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, We'll discuss it. On to my special guest now, and to help lead discussion about fashion and its relationship with mental health, I'm delighted to introduce Jess Crabb. Jess is a junior talent manager at Models One. Models One is one of Europe's leading model agencies and represents models from across not just fashion, but music, TV and film. Some of their clients include singers Zach Abel and Joy Crooks, England rugby player Mara Toji, fashion icon Naomi Campbell, as well as a mix of other established names in fashion like Iskra Lawrence. Jess? Welcome to the Just Checking In pod. First of all, how are you, pal? Hey, Fred. Thanks for having me. I'm very well, thank you. A little bit groggy. Oh, yeah? Um, you know. Big sesh yesterday. Saturday or? night. You know how it is. No. Yeah. Are you excited? <laughs> I am. I yeah, am. I'm so glad very you're happy. excited. Yeah, yeah. Good to be here. <laughs> I think um, it's for the listeners who, who don't know each other, we, we actually met through our mutual friend and our, my, one of my oldest and dearest friends, James Lamb, also friend of the pod. Um, and it's weird because I think... That intro just there was one of the first times I've ever called you Jess. Because <laughs> yeah. I think synonymously in our social group, you're known as Crab, aren't you? I think yeah. synonymously across the board, everyone oh, okay. knows me pretty much. It refers to me as Crab. Is there a particular reason for that? Because Jess is quite a nicknameable well, uh, I mean, is quite a nicknameable my, name, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, my surname is Crab and I feel like, how many other crabs do you know in your life? True. That's you know? a good, yeah. Much um, like Cocker. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an easy one to latch onto, I think. And yeah, people... People just, I think, yeah. I don't know if they even know my name's Jess a lot of the time. <laughs> like, even at work, honestly. <laughs> it happens at work as well. Oh yeah, crabby, crab, crabs. Oh my God, you I didn't know it. that. Because <laughs> I, I, I like to think that sometimes at work, you, you it, it's a little bit more professional than perhaps with the mm, nicknames and it would be. Yeah. But okay. No, we, we like the familiarity and oh, to be that's honest, good. yeah, crab, it's, it's my identity now. Mm. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, now we've got that out of the way, shall we get started? Absolutely. So the first topic we're going to dive into, Jess, and this is something you were very keen to tackle about when we were talking off air, is some of the stereotypes and the myths about the fashion industry. I think when many people sort of think about the fashion industry, they might get images of, you know, VIP fashion weeks, catwalks, outrageous outfits worn by extremely (laughs) beautiful people, and um, some very pretentious perfume and aftershave adverts. As someone who works in this industry every day, is that image an accurate one or is it a bit more of a, a parody? You know, I think honestly it is never like nothing is ever as glamorous as it looks on the surface. And, you know, day to day, I'm just in an office like, you know, everyone else really. But I think, you know, I, I then wonder if I become a little com- sort of... Esconced too, in it. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. I'm just used to, you know, I appreciate that what I do is is cool at times. But I would say, you know... Like I said, day to day, it is pretty, pretty much your average kind of nine to mm. five at your mm. desk, mm. taking calls, whatever else, going to meetings. But, um, you know, sure, there's always kind of every now and again, there's a little party or whatever it is where you get bit to, more glam. Yeah, yeah. You know, you get to yeah. brush some shoulders mm. and it's kind of, yeah, you think, OK, this is this is pretty cool. But yeah, 
Not not every day is like okay. that. No way. <laughs> I think I think one perhaps amusing stereotype people might have about the the fashion industry is this idea of you know the cutthroat model agency or fashion magazine. And for anyone who's seen the film or read the book, you know the Devil Wears Prada, they'll know all about Miranda Priestly, the, the, this fictitious but very devilish fashion editor. There's also other portrayals of the fashion industry um, environments in popular culture, so things like Ugly Betty or you know America's Next Top Model. If we're talking about like reality shows. Do you think any of these pieces of popular culture reflect the fashion industry accurately in any way? Or do you think it's all a bit sort of, what's the right phrase? Um, tongue in cheek. Tongue, yeah, glamorization <laughs> and tongue in cheek. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that, you know, you can never take kind of films and, and TV verbatim, you know, depicting whatever industry or, you know, whatever it is they're, they're portraying. They have to make it entertaining, right? Um, I think, you know... There's elements of, you know, the ridiculous in, in fashion. You're kind of, you know, you do, you meet a lot of characters, that's mm. for sure. Um, I've never come into contact with, you know, a Miranda Priestley or, or anyone like that. Or like Mark from Ugly Betty or sure. something like that. Sure. Well, you yeah. know, you do, you meet people. People are quite, you know, bold and... Yeah. Um, very extroverted. Yeah, not afraid yeah. to sort of show their characters and bring their character, their real self to work. So Absolutely. To yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to go into the fashion industry, I think I kind of fell into it. You know, I'm, I'm not someone who kind of takes it all super seriously. Mm. But there are a lot of people I work with who, you know, have worked at Gucci and whatever else. Mm. And they've got mm. these amazing stories you know, oh, this one time I was with Amy Winehouse. Oh God, the name dropped time. straight away. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, it's great. I kind of love that. I, mm. I sort of, you know, really soak it all up because it is quite surreal when you're sat next to someone at work who 10 years ago was, you know, this guy on my desk was Misha Barton's PA. Oh wow. And okay. I was a huge fan of the OC. So when yeah. I found that out, I was like, tell me everything. Yeah. Tell me everything. <laughs> um, but you know, he's lived this very colourful life. And so you do meet some characters, but I would say... In terms of the the glamorization, like I said, of of the fashion world, I think you know, it, no, it's not always mm. not always all it cracks up to be. Mm. And let's let's talk a bit more about your role at Models One now, because, mm-hmm. like you said, you you fell into into it, so to speak. Could you just go, you know, elaborate a little yeah. bit more on that? Well, I mean, specifically, my role, um, like you said earlier, is um, I'm a talent manager, so I work on the special bookings division. Mm which is, um, you know, most most major modelling agencies will have a talent board where you're not looking after models per se, you're, um, you're looking after faces who are known for something else. So their bread and butter job might be acting, singing, chefs. Mm. It's kind of all mix of people. Um, and I'm kind of there to, I guess I'm, I'm their agent. I work with their wider management teams um, and helping them get kind of brand endorsements, campaigns. You know, if you see an actor as the face of a brand or a singer as the face of a brand, um, which you do quite often, that mm. that's my job. Okay. I would have got them. So sort of like what, because I think someone like Cara Delevingne did mm-hmm. the reverse of it. She wanted to be a film actress, but she mm. she's openly said she did modelling to get into that. Yeah. Whereas a lot, so your role is sort of people who have had got their niche but they want to get into modelling as well. A little is that, bit. Is that fair to a say? A little bit. I mean, I don't know that they always are, you know, they're looking to become models. Sure. I think it's just, you know, it's great for their profile to be, mm. you know, to get a campaign, to be seen on billboards, to be seen on TV, uh, in, in adverts, whatever else, you know, it raises their profile. So, so yeah, I suppose it's just in their best interest for their wider career to 
have that exposure through um yeah fashion and whatever else we're mm. working on and and tell me a bit more about how models one has created a positive mental health environment yeah i mean i i feel very lucky actually to work at an, uh, an agency that i feel is a very very loving mm. um and caring uh kind of team we like you know i can't speak on behalf of any other agencies mm. but i'm always told by models who've who've moved around a bit because that tends to happen you know they might leave their agency for whatever reason and they always always say that we're the nicest one Mm. um and i like to think that's true and i think you know we really we foster like a really nice kind of atmosphere and everyone's everyone's like family Mm. um i think another important thing i should mention is that models one is part of this uh, organization called the bfmaa mm-hmm. Got that bit right. of a mouthful um yeah. yeah a bit of a mouthful but it's it that stands for the british fashion model agents association um and actually our company director is at the head of of that organization basically it's really there in place to um kind of look after the models um and sort of like a union or is it not as a little bit yeah, as yeah. organized as that so you, you know they host like um seminars and all sorts of things like um for the models to learn about how to look after themselves better mm. um equally you know teaches the agents more about how we can kind of care for the girls the boys we're looking after um and you know just kind of all share knowledge I guess mm. you know it, it and it helps everyone um agents and models alike so it means we're all kind of in this network together mm. um and there's not too much separation of parties it's yeah. very you know very come we all come together yeah <laughs> I think what you do, there is a really good point that you mentioned there and it was something I was going to bring up later in the pod but mm. the point that you made about teaching models um how to look after themselves and I think one thing I think is probably fair to say is that models in their life any aspiring one will probably have to deal with a lot of rejection mm-hmm. either from agencies or talent spotters or whatever it is do that does the b f m a a a does that try and foster resilience in them to try and maybe kind of deal with rejection better or is it mm. sort of a different angle yeah i mean you know you can never really teach someone resilience that's kind of something that you know, I think definitely comes from within and through experience. And I would say, you know, fair play to anyone who takes up modelling as their career, because you do, you really have to have a strong sense of self. It's a grind, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it is. And you really have to be, you know, kind of self-assured that when when you are, you know, rejected or, or, you know, let down by whoever it is in your, in your modelling, in your modelling career, it's not a reflection of you necessarily. It's really, you know, it's a very fickle industry. Mm. It could literally be, you just don't tick one tiny box that is, you know, um, they wanted someone with a fringe and mm. you don't have As them. small as that. As small yeah, as that, yeah. you know, and, it, and so you really can't take everything personally because mm. it's like, okay, well, I don't have a fringe, mm. you know, big deal. Do they always um, know that the models or will they, will they be given feedback like um, that or they just yeah. get rejected and is it as cutthroat sometimes, as that? Sometimes, sometimes. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, we can't, there can't always be feedbacks. You know, there's never a session of this is why you didn't get the job X, Y, Z. Mm. But, you know, if they ask for feedback, then I suppose it's the agent's job to get that from the client and, mm. you know, have an honest conversation because it's it's good for models also to be informed of, those things otherwise you know it could it could make them insecure or whatever and and yeah we don't we don't like 
to think that they would go away, you know, just thinking, oh, I was rejected because I'm not beautiful enough or mm. I'm not skinny, whatever it is, you yeah. know. Because um, it can, it can be something so, so minute like that, that, yeah, don't take it personally. Mm. What, do you, what, what do you think the industry can do to improve this environment for models in, in dealing with that rejection or, or just making it a better environment more generally for their mental health? I think, honestly, just having open conversations, um, you know, it goes without saying that the more you communicate and kind of foster that environment, like I said earlier, where they, you know, models feel like they can come to us and talk to us about anything that's playing on their mind or, you know, whatever it is, um, if we can foster that and sit down and have those conversations with them, then, yeah, then that can only be a positive Mm. thing. I, I like to think that, you know, as an agent myself, anyone who I'm looking after can talk to me about whatever it is. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm no expert. I can never sit there and, you know, I'm not their therapist, mm. but I like to just, you know, reassure them that I'm always here to talk to. And I think, you know, generally speaking, a lot of my colleagues are the same. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all, we're all in it together, mm. like I said before. And, um, and yeah, I just, I, I like to think that the way we can kind of keep everyone's heads above water is just allowing for them to, mm-hmm. you know, feel they can come and talk to us. Cause I think as well, particularly in, you know, the modeling industry, maybe there was always, there was always a little bit of a, of a stigma around models voicing, you know, things that were going, you know, maybe awry or if they'd had a horrible experience. And why do you think that was? Would you? Um, I think because they just wanted the work. And mm. that's still probably the case a lot of the time. You know, I, I'm i not super clued up on everything, but obviously with things like the Me Too movement, um, it, it gives them this new ability, I think, this new, you know, freedom to talk more about, um, you know, if, if they've had like a, a terrible experience with a photographer or whatever mm. it is. Um you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. And have you seen that environment change from the time that you've been in the industry to now? Um, I mean, I've been in it two years, so I, mean, I can't... But two years is a long time yeah, in the mental I health mean, sphere, to be, I'm not to be a fair as well. authority, put it that way, but I would say, I would say actually, really, since I've been there, you know, I think for all its um, flaws, I think definitely things like social media actually are a very positive tool um, a good example of this actually is that we, we represent a model called um, Cameron Russell. Nearly forgot her name there. <laughs> um, but Cameron Russell, and she's she's very, um, she's quite a prestigious model, quite a well-known one in the States and, well, globally, I guess. Um, and she actually, when kind of, you know, the, the Me Too movement was really at its height, I guess, last year, she set up this, this Instagram where models could anonymously send in stories of examples, you know, of when they might have been mistreated or, you know... Sexually assaulted or, or worse. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Also, you know that's what, amazing, to whatever. be honest. It's and, great, yeah. Yeah, and she would post them, obviously all completely anonymously. Um, but it was kind of amazing because, you know, it was, it was quite shocking, some of the content. Mm. Was it eye-opening and, for you? Well... Or was it something you kind of thought was bubbling under the surface yeah. and sort of come to the come to the fore a bit I, more i i would say it was eye-opening in the sense that it was you know seeing it all you know one after another after another on this on this instagram feed you're like wow you know 
this happens just so much more than I mean it shouldn't happen at all mm. but this happens so much more than you think it does you yeah, think it does yeah. and don't get me wrong you know I'm I'm not ignorant to these things I'm aware that within the industry there there can be a lot of dodgy people it does happen um people asking things for access or yeah, contracts or stuff like yeah, that yeah and it's yeah. our job to just make sure that you know no model is ever ever put in a position where you know they feel vulnerable or they they feel abused in any way you know let's go back to this idea of positive working environments and i think you know the devil wears prada obviously glamorizes this very actually negative working environment um but obviously there are some very real examples of very bad working cultures where people are um sidelined where women or men are put down in the fashion industry in in the office environment obviously speaking anonymously have you heard of any stories about that from across the industry? I mean, there was actually a show. Um, I don't know if you ever were aware of it on, I think, like E4. Right. Maybe like eight or something years ago, some time ago. And it was essentially a fly on the wall kind of documentary style thing about a mod- about a modelling agency. Oh, right. Okay. Um, a London-based so, so we're not exposing E4 here. We're just no, talking no, about no, the programme. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But it was like essentially an expose on how you know um an agency runs and how an agency works and they actually i i I wasn't at models one at this time but apparently we were approached to be the agency uh that was featured sort of like an educating yorkshire educating essex thing but for but for modeling back way back when yeah Yeah. and my director was like absolutely not no way not because we have (laughs) anything to hide but just you know, it's not that interesting, really. Like you don't, you probably don't really need the publicity anyway. Well, do you, it's really? not even that. I think honestly, it would be. We always laugh about this. It's like if there actually was film crew in the office, they'd they'd just be like, "Was well, anything? Is anyone going to do anything? Anyone going to? Yeah, you know, just everyone um, sort of getting along and doing their work. Exactly. And yeah, like, we, no you know, dramas and all that sort of exactly. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And they, but funnily enough, they were in another London-based agency that I think is possibly famously a lot more. Um, don't even know what the word would be. Mad. open about their yeah i mean i never discrepancies actually, yeah yes, exactly yes. i never actually watched the show myself but i've heard that it, it really didn't paint them in a great light it was mm. kind of you know effing and blinding all over the office kind of people screaming down the phone mm. at clients and whatever else um so you know it's things like that that bring coming back to your kind of earlier point that there's there are all these stereotypes mm. um of the industry it's kind of things like that that completely reinforce that, which I think is really negative because, you know, I'm not lying when I say it just isn't it just isn't that way. Mm. Um, you know, we have very pleasant phone calls with clients. We mm. have very pleasant meetings. Um, we have models come in and out every day and we sit there and we have chats and over a cup of tea. Um, and, and you know, this this documentary, whatever you want to call it, kind of made made the whole industry a bit of a mockery and look you know extremely sort of parodied it sounds like it sounds like a lot of bullying and a lot of just poor you know professional behavior going on yeah god and actually funnily enough they i I now work with some people that did work at their agency oh right okay and you know they sort of tell us all these stories about how they'd be scared to take lunch breaks Mm. it makes us feel extremely lazy because honestly it's like take an hour for lunch take your time you know Mm. Um, very laid back, very laid back. Don't get me wrong, you know, we get the work done. Mm. Um, I don't want to make out we're... Um, by all means, you wouldn't be. But yeah, I know I get that completely. <laughs> but but yeah. yeah, you know, so yeah, stereotype-wise, I don't think we prob- we fit the mould that you would you would maybe 
fantasien. Our next topic is something which would be we would be remiss not to talk about in any fashion discussion, which is this idea of body image and beauty standards. And I think the best sort of discussion topic to start with is this idea of the plus size model. Now, personally, I find this phrase quite insulting to those models because it seems to imply they're perhaps abnormal or an exception to the rule. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I also hate the term plus size because, you know, in fact, nine times out of ten, the girls, the guys, you know, one might refer to as plus size are extremely normal body types you know well, and what not, is what is deemed plus size by the way is it what is the is the is it like size 10 and above or is it yeah, for a guy I, is it you know a, a larger but what, what is the sort of definitions of it i think it's 12 and up see that's, that's that's completely normal i don't I know, understand I why it's called that. i'm really cautious as well of using the term normal because yeah. like what is normal body type sure, you know really sure. um but you know we thought we all fall um not an exception, basically. It yeah, shouldn't be an exception yeah. or or, unex- or exceptional to the rule. Mm. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the term plus size, I think, is a really dangerous one because it's just, it's just a weird one. Because, like I say, a lot of the time they are, you know, just like Everyday healthy, he- yeah, yeah. Yeah. healthy body types that, you know, to be referred to as, yeah, like you say, out of the, you know, out of the ordinary or whatever it is, it, it really... Um, you know, yeah. It's a jarring thing, isn't it? Yeah. Have you spoken to any models who are, you know, deemed plus size? And have you spoken to them about what effect that has on them when they hear that and how they're referred Mm. to it as? I mean, so at Models 1, our division is actually called Curve. Yeah, that's a better term. Which I think is a little more, you know... um, Healthy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And I think the, the, the one thing that always comes up in conversation when you talk to you know particularly the girls on that on that particular board is that they don't want to be pigeonholed Mm. as you know these body positivity kind of role models because Mm. they're like i'm just doing me you know i'm Mm. just i just look the way i look um they're not they don't they don't want to be kind of put on a pedestal as as you know representatives of curvy girls everywhere Mm. because they're kind of like well you know, I, I'm not. I don't have any interest in that either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, they're just kind of you know making some money and yeah, looking good and sure. whatever. Um, and they're all extremely healthy. You know, it's not like they're trying to look um, bigger for the sake of not bigger, but you know, out of kind of the 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 measurements of like your your regular model. Um, yeah, they they just they don't want to be kind of framed as. Yeah, these these representatives of of health and you know confidence and whatever, because mm. most of them are just you know just regular regular girls and boys, yeah, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah. Do you do you think this whole idea of the the plus size model in inverted commas mm. is a reflection of the modeling modeling industry to be perhaps initially reluctant to accept different body types or shun them? What would what would you sort of say on that? I mean, I suppose you know, ten years ago, it would have been laughed at to think that any woman or man of kind of a... Uh, Above us, what, like a size four? Yeah, yeah, would be in high fashion, would be working mm. in high fashion. And now it's, you know, it's become much more normalised, which I think is, you know, a really, really positive thing. 
um, you know, looking at models like Ashley Graham and, you know, we have some great curve girls, one in particular who I love, um, it's a girl called M Bresky. And um, she's she's done like some great work with Vivian Westwood. And that's amazing because it's, you know, giving them kind of, it, it puts them in the same light as, you know, your Gigi Hadids and mm -hmm. whoever else. So it just puts them on that kind of equal playing field, I guess, that, you know, they're both doing catwalk, they're both getting major campaigns. Um, and so I think there's definitely been kind of positive movements in the sense that, you know, I don't know about you, but now when I see kind of a, a what you'd call a curve model on a billboard for whatever brand, you're not like, oh, wow. Um, like, good for them good putting for them. it on. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Not like, oh, sort of the like back. they're just doing it because they're putting them exactly. on. Exactly, like it's and, just a beautiful yeah. person. Yeah. And, and, you know, they're just up there and looking great. It's, it, I think that's, you know, it has changed in for the better in that sense. But I suppose to come back to your question, um, you know, with the industry making these classifications I still think that you know there's a way to go in that one day I would love for just everyone to be on one board you know mm -hmm. girls and guys one board um you know no kind of mm. divisions as such do where do you do you know how the term started I don't honestly I don't know how it started but I think you know there was obviously um there was a need for women and men of different body shapes to be kind of in the public or in the media and whatever um and i guess you know they they started it just start it just you think it just kind of started yeah and that I, someone someone you know someone made that phrase and it just stuck i guess i mean i'd just be speculating to be yeah, honest yeah i think we're I both speculating to be yeah, honest yeah i don't know how it started um i think honestly it comes back to this you know classification thing that they probably realised that there was a, a way of making more money through an agency by representing girls um, who were a little curvier, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they want to make the money. So mm. therefore start a division specifically for these women um, and, you know, yeah, kind of keep them as, their, as a, a whole entity of their own. Um, because, you know, in fairness, the briefs that come in unfortunately, you know, are quite specific in terms of we're looking for a curvier girl, you know, da 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 and then it won't go to the main board women, it'll go to the curve board. Mm. Um so I get the need for, you know, splitting them all up, but at the same time, yeah, I can see why it's somewhat damaging, mm. um, kind of having that title. Mm. Or, and have you seen designers in particular anything that you can speak of change almost change their opinions or change their perspectives on what it is to be a plus size model or how they see plus size models in inverted commas mm. fitting in with you know other classifications of models so to speak you know was so, so for example was there five ten years ago a bit of a snobbish attitude perhaps towards plus size models and now it's sort of more positive in that sense or do you think it's a bit more nuanced than that i think it's just more widespread i think you know what's great is that like i said before high fashion brands you know that that would have never you know really because the the high street brands would have been probably more open to it you know but high fashion um so we're talking you know gucci tom gucci, ford Prada, yeah, yeah all yeah. of those they would have never ever had 
anyone who looked anything out of the sort of set, you know, mm. typical model uh, regulations on their catwalk, in their clothing, on a red carpet, whatever it was, because, you know, there was that, it was, you know, it was a bit of snobbery, um, I guess, you know, it's like when people say, you know, the models in magazines, you want to aspire to be like them, um, therefore, you know, you want the skinniest, most beautiful, whatever, because why wouldn't every woman want to look mm. like that? You know, I say that completely sarcastically. Um, but but I think they're more open to it now. And and yeah, it, it can only be a good thing. Do you think that because they're, they're, they're might be, they might be organisations which are quite traditional in the sense, which is mm. sort of ironic to think about fashion brands as being maybe perhaps more traditional because when you think about it, fashion's always got to be innovative. It's always got to be thinking mm-hmm. about new ideas and new sort of ranges and new types of clothing to to, to introduce yeah. and experiment with. I think, you know, brands have to move with the times and also, um, you know, with things like social media, people can hold brands so much more accountable nowadays for their campaigns and whatever they're putting out there. Um, you know, there's, there's so much backlash when there's campaigns now that just feature skinny white blonde models Mm. people people hate it and Mm. you know ultimately the aim for a brand is to make money to sell the product um and if you're not appealing to you know your wider market Mm. you're only appealing to this small small portion then you're not going to make your profits so i think you know that's they've realized that and also you know because people because we have access to the internet and we can you know leave complaints you can kind of a, a tweet can go viral, uh, whatever it is. Um, brands, you know, they need to be they need to be answering for themselves, mm. um, and I think that's just meant that you know they do they have to be more open minded and they have to be um, yeah a bit more creative with the way they kind of advertise their product. Mm. We, you talked a bit about like body diversity and 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 sort of ethnic diversity there as well. Mm. And the kind of steps that that, that 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 brands are taking to to address this. Do you think there's a danger that there might be? What's the right way to put this? A sort of they might pay lip service to it without actually addressing the deeper issues behind it, so to speak. So, so yeah. for example, they might be sort of saying that they're addressing ethnic diversity or saying that they're going to be doing uh, they're addressing body diversity, but actually, when you kind of look behind the curtain. They're not actually doing too much. Is there a danger of that or? I guess so. I mean, I think, you know, to to hand it to them, I think everyone is, is always kind of learning, um, you know, big brands who have kind of a white male at the top of the company ultimately making the decisions, um, you know, yeah, I guess, I guess they they need educating um and i would say that even since i've kind of been working in fashion there's a lot more kind of uh, roles in place now um so there'll be people working at brands who specifically are kind of working on you know making sure that whatever campaigns or projects are going on have some element of diversity um and i think that's great you know i th- i think um, a particular shout out actually to Adidas. They're okay. a great brand for championing just kind of all sorts of, all sorts of just really positive things, you know, um, sustainability for one. And I guess body positivity as well. I mean, you know, they, they're they always keen to explore, you know, different options of who they can use in their campaigns, which I think is 
just really cool and um yeah shout out to Edwards. yeah do you, do you think body positivity is is in danger of ever becoming a sort of patronizing phrase do you think in some popular culture yeah i mean i think i think honestly it gets a bit lost on me these days because mm. it's you know like i've said it's you just you're just you mm. <laughs> you know like and as i was said before with the girls who you know get pigeonholed as these um sort of like voluptuous curvaceous bodies yeah. who are like representing the 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 a exactly. certain level of of, of, yeah. of beauty I, standard yeah i think there is a danger that the term body positivity yeah will one day just be re- made redundant because it's it's just like well you know we're all different shapes and sizes mm. you can't you can't celebrate everything, you know, or you should actually, you should celebrate everything, in which case, you know, why do we not have, you know, why don't we use the term body positivity with regards to anyone of any shape, rather than just kind of, you know, it's somehow stuck to these, these models who are, you know, on the kind of curvier, Mm. curvier side. Mm. Um, Yeah, I think it one day will just... It Hopefully, it should be made impact. like like obsolete. You'd think you'd like to think so in like an in a utopian world. Yeah. But, um, there's also a dark side to the fashion industry in many senses, and I think a part of this is this whole idea of size zero culture. Um, first of all, I think why don't we sort of outline what it is first, and then we also spoke about off air about you know the way to frame this discussion. Um, so why don't you talk about a bit about how it started, maybe the history behind it and how and if the fashion industry has moved on from it? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a voice of authority mm-hmm. on size zero culture. So I say this really from a, I guess, from a personal, personal perspective. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, I think, honestly, it it was very, you know, fashion was, as we've touched on already, it was it was for skinny people you know they went down the catwalk they were on the front covers um because you know it was deemed as this body type that we should all aspire to an archetype yeah yeah um that you know like i said before everyone was supposedly wanting um and and it made it made clothes look better and whatever else and i think i think everyone just latched on to that idea that, you know, put a skinny girl on the front and the product will sell, whatever. Um, I think, honestly, things have moved on since then. And I mean, I don't know when that change first started coming about, but I think, you know, with the introduction of things like curved divisions at modelling agencies and, you know, I guess even celebs in kind of everyday, um, like, popular culture um, championing this this idea that really anyone, you know, can look great in a dress or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, I think that is kind of how the changes come about. Just, I suppose, fairly naturally that, you know, people people are less bothered, I guess, about seeing, you know, this this archetype on, mm. on the billboards, wherever mm. it is. Why do you think it's important from a mental health perspective that, the, the fashion industry needs to move on from this trend. And I think one can only speculate on the ramifications within the industry that asking hundreds of th- you know thousands of models to stay at size zero when perhaps not all of them are naturally that slim mm. um, could have on one's mental health with regards to possible eating disorders and possible body dysmorphia. Um, from your perspective, you know, tell the listeners about why it's important that we move on from this trend. I think... 
you know, a lot of models get signed at a really young age when their bodies, you know, aren't fully developed, um, particularly girls, you know, they're still very, you know, very... Still developing. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they're, you know, they're just, they're much smaller and they don't, their hips aren't, you know, as wide or whatever Mm. it is. Um, And I think it, it must be so difficult that they then, you know, go through puberty and whatever else and they get to a point where they're still they still look great and they're still extremely you know to the to the average person you'd think they were of an amazing physique um but you know they don't fit that kind of the measurements Mm -hmm. the the measurements anymore and I don't think there's such a focus anymore on size zero Mm -hmm. you know and that's not actually a term that really I've since you know working at models where I've never heard it Mm -hmm. thrown around um I think unfortunately you know yes they they have to keep up a certain um kind of physique but I think there's a lot more focus now on fitness Mm. and it's you know it's them looking after themselves you know eating well exercising um just you know doing doing what's good for them rather Mm. than you know there would never ever be um an instance now really through us anyway where you know, we'd sit down with with a model and tell them, you need to drop five pounds, stop mm. eating. You know, that doesn't happen now. Mm. And I'm sure it did before, you know. I'm sure it was a lot more prevalent that the agents, you know, would say, you're getting too big. You need to do, you know, maybe did, do unhealthy yeah. things to get to the, you know, optimum, the optimum level, um, yeah. measurements that would then, you know, help them keep making money. Um, yeah, that, that doesn't happen that doesn't happen. Now. Do you was there? I mean, you can only speculate from your perspective, but was there also sort of body shaming from within the mod, mod, modeling sort of community itself? You know, would there be models who would say sort of body shame someone who was a bit bigger than a size zero or something like that? And and has that changed? Is there more support between the models about you know being themselves and mm. and, and being the the weight or build that they should be? Really? Yeah, I mean, I think. Because we know that models, the modeling can be very cutthroat and, you yeah. know, models themselves need to be um, making sure that they can stay, not only get to the top, but stay at the top. And that can yeah. sometimes maybe engender a, a competitive environment, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, it is competitive. It's, they're, they're all self-employed and, you know, the way they look is their job. So, yeah, there's always going to be that element of you have to keep up certain regimes and whatever else to you know, ensure you're making your money, you know, like you and I get up every day and go into our office, um, go to our jobs, they get up, they work out, they eat well so that they can, you know, hopefully at the end of the day be told they're going to be the face of, mm. you know. Because their body and face is the job. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. But um, I think honestly, just from my, you know, personal perspective, they're not, it's not catty like that you sure know, it, there's no kind i think of, some people might think it is a little bit yeah, that's still, I, sort of stereotype i'm yeah. sure but i've really hand on heart never witnessed you know that that possibility that they would you know come in and say i don't know how she got the job mm. when i'm this much better looking whatever mm. it is um they're all mates honestly mm. like it it's a really nice thing that you know to see them hanging out outside of you know, mm. the office, whatever. Um, they're all friends and, mm. you know, they meet at casting sometimes and then they're, you know, they're at the same agency and mm. they're in and out. They'll come and see their agents. They'll bump into each other. And it's really nice, you know, I think. And that's one thing, you know, 
I've said it before, I don't want to keep, you know, bigging it up. No, no, please do. Models One is really, it is just a big family. And, Mm. you know, I think they really encourage the models to to be mates. Like, Mm. you know, we, we go out with them to events and things and they're all mingling. We do workshops for the new faces, which means they're meeting other models of the same age um as themselves when they're just starting out and i think it's really great because you know it does mean that they have friends that they can talk to who understand you know because as much as you know an agent understands how you know the workings of the industry and whatever we aren't the ones going to the castings we aren't the ones you know working out every day to try and look you know amazing for jobs Mm. um so for them to have each other to be able to to talk to and relate to I think is really important and you know as an agency we would never foster a competitive um, environment that meant you know girls and boys were sort of pitted against each other yeah exactly it's not America's next top model basically no oh my god no okay (laughs) I think I think sometimes that is what people do think that like uh, loads of models are sort of all competing in the same sort of for the same role or for the same job but yeah it's great to know that it's not like that Mm. I think we should also point out that body image doesn't just affect women, but also affects men too. And things like muscle dysmorphia or body dysmorphia more generally and um, male deceiving orders are actually becoming more of a worrying trend. From your experience, can you give the listeners a bit of an overview of male beauty standards in the industry and how they've changed or perhaps not changed since you started working in it? Yeah, I think... Honestly, from where I'm, where I sit, I see that actually for the male models, it is, it is very competitive because there's actually less jobs Mm. for them. Um, You know, it's typically women on front covers, um, more so than it is men. Apart from like the likes of David Gandhi and the the big, the big cheeses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got your sort of staple guys who, yeah, will get the front covers, but. But, you know, that's a problem in itself that these guys are kind of, you know, they just roll them out for everything. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, I can't speak uh, with with a great deal of knowledge on kind of male models dealing with, you know, eating disorders and mm. body dysmorphia. But I think, you know, I can see how it would be tough for them because it's not, you know... There's not all kinds of different ways they can look good, if you know mm. what I mean. I yeah, think for sure. women, I think for women, it's a little the, the more variety. The, yeah, yeah, like there's more of a you know that you can cover different bases and you can be you know a bit like you said earlier, you know, a bit more voluptuous and and that's really sexy. Or you can be slim, but you know you've got a beautiful face, whatever. Whereas yeah. I think for guys, really, it, it it's kind of you do have to fit into one box a mm. bit more. Um, you know yeah you have to look kind of have you seen sort of more models perhaps getting a bit more beefier shall we say I think perhaps modelling male modelling maybe traditionally in the past has been quite slim guys maybe quite quite ripped but quite slim have you seen more of an um, an increase in men being a lot bigger a lot more muscly as a reflection of society or do you think that's not changed as much in Um, the industry well I think really to be a male I mean this is the other thing they can't to to do like high fashion modeling as a man you you kind of can't be too beefy sure so you know they want to keep toned and they want to look good but they can't go too far up Mm. you know into it because then 
you know, brands will stray away from... You won't be able to fit clothes as well, well exactly. I guess. Exactly, yeah, you know, sure. they, they do. They have to fit samples. So, you know, it's tough because, yeah, they want to look good and they want to have good bodies, but then equally, yeah, you can't pack on too much um, mm. muscle because, yeah, you won't fit the clothes and mm. you won't get the jobs. Um, I, think, I think they're just aesthetically there's kind of the male model who is is typically like very slender and maybe you know a bit more kind of grungy looking mm. um but then there's also the real kind of pin-up mm. uh you know the purebred yeah the thoroughbred you know, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the you know a bit a lovely tan nice muscle mm. um there's not too much in between you know sure um so that's kind of what i mean when i say i think they really have to fit one of two um, categories. Mm. And and speaking to models, male models that you know yourself, have you seen a a change in the openness to how they talk about their own mental health? I I know you spoke about how the the female models are are more, um, they they obviously share a lot of feelings between each Mm. other, they're very supportive. Have you seen that reflected in the male model community or is is that sort of still developing, would you say? I think probably it's still developing because... I mean, I, the, the agents who work on the men's division, I think, you know, they've had conversations with guys before about, you know, jobs that might not have, you know, gone gone the way they wanted them to. They might have, you know, gone through something like fairly traumatic and they are less inclined to speak about it. Um, you know, as you know, with guys, there's mm. always, you know, a bit more of a wall up. Mm. And I think especially you know, guys in fashion, it's already, I think they're, they're... Are they sort of like built a bit more to sort of be more resilient and tough and sort of deal with the challenges because it's hard enough as it is to yeah. sort of succeed? Is that Would that be fair to say? Well, I think it's that. And I think also, you know, it's that, sadly, they're probably viewed already as a little bit more effeminate and whatever because, mm. you know, they, they're in fashion, they mm. model. Um, and so, yeah, there's, I, I think there probably is an element of them then not wanting to... To be vulnerable or to show their emotions as much, maybe. Yeah, but, it, yeah. you know, it does happen to them. Like, it, it really does. I think guys are just as susceptible to all the all the same, um, you know, scary things that female models are, um, especially the younger ones, um, unfortunately. And especially you know. Me Too as well. They can also be yeah, affected by it. Of yeah, of course, of course. Like, you know, I think that's a really important thing to highlight is that movements like Me Too, you know, yeah, it's incredible that it was largely women coming forward and you know telling their truths and whatever but I think also you know you have to remember that especially in fashion a lot of guys will have gone through similar things where yeah you know they're put in positions where you know they are vulnerable and because they're guys it it's maybe yeah less spoken about and they feel like you know they can't voice it to other models authority the authorities that be maybe because they perhaps might lose either a job they might lose their reputation exactly or they might lose you know anything to do with their own career i mean they they could lose they could lose their career Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's definitely a possibility i think you know they they know that if they're to complain about a photographer and that gets taken you know escalated yeah sure then that could potentially like you say that could be the end of them ever getting shot by any good photographer yeah. who if that moves. photographer is a big cheese yeah. or he's got a lot of power he or she i should say but yeah. if he's got, if they've got a lot of power mm. then if that person complains then they know they can destroy that person who complained yeah and ruin their career 
yeah i yeah. mean it's a real possibility and i think you know yeah i just yeah. i think it's important to to remember that that guys are mm. just as you know open to those things as as girls mm. so. and we should always point out there are lots of hundreds and hundreds of great photographers as well who well, don't do that course. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our final topic about the fashion industry crab is something which actually I think we can all relate to in our lives, which is social media and this idea of ever constant perfectionism. Mm. Um, with the digitization of the industry, we now see models using their Instagram feeds as their own marketing tools and often their own CV. Um, sort of with selfie after selfie of them looking beautiful in the best clothing. You know, they'll put the, the, the captions as, you know, hair by this, you know, top by this, trousers by this and all that Hashtag sort of stuff. Spawn. Hashtags, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we've also seen the rise of the fitness model in inverted commas, which is giving an extra dimension of sort of unrealistic aspirations for, for people to pine after. Firstly, do you think social media has been a positive or a negative for the industry or do you think there's a more nuanced perspective to take i think it is it's a double-edged sword because i think that it has provided you know a platform as we've kind of touched on already it's provided a platform for models and talent whoever it is to you know have a voice about anything that isn't just the way they look you know mm. because they're they're people at the end of the day and a lot of them have passions and they have interests a lot of them are really big into you know charities and whatever else and you know it's kind of humanized models in that sense it's given them a platform to you know yeah be known for something else not just oh that's you know that them they were the face of you know they might now be speaking about something really important um on their social media but i think um i think you know obviously there's also the argument that it has had extremely negative impacts on particularly the fashion industry because yeah like you say it has seen the rise of kind of body ideals that you know are completely ridiculous and yeah i guess i think also with things like instagram and whatever else you know it's given all these it, it provided all these new inventive um, ideals that we can never reach because I think, you know, models on, on the front cover of magazines, it was always kind of just, they were photoshopped maybe to look a bit skinnier. Mm -hmm. Whereas now you see on Instagram, people are using apps to, you know, make their hips wider, but their, their waist smaller and their boobs bigger and their teeth whiter. You can do all these things, um, that don't require Photoshop anymore. It's, you know, as simple as downloading a free app. Um, and yeah, everyone can Photoshop themselves these days. Mm. And I think that's, I mean, just ridiculously mm. a bad thing. I think we'll, we'll touch on sort of airbrushing in a minute, but I think bringing it back to this idea of the fitness model. And I think there's been an explosion, I think it's fair to say, in not just male fitness models, but also female fitness models. I think I think of the most parodied sort of, um, fitness model out there which is Jen Selter mm -hmm. and the woman who made probably millions of pounds by having a very what's the right way to put this without seeming very very bad um she had a very marketable derriere okay and she did a lot of pictures with this derriere in very exotic places okay this sort of fitness model do you ever think 
they could be a part of a mainstream sort of fashion agency like models one or maybe they all maybe they already are but we don't know about it but do you think that idea of a fitness model will ever become part of a a fashion industries agency as well i mean it's difficult to say because i think you know all the models across the board are fit you know Mm. they all take good care of themselves they work out physically they're you know mostly in perfect shape um so i wouldn't want to add throw another kind of categorization into the mix we've already you know discussed how that can have negative impacts with curve and mane and whatever else i think to add fitness would in some ways insinuate that they were you know fitter than everyone else Mm. who's already fit and it just you know confuses things even more makes makes the whole thing very convoluted um so i think probably you know those people who are getting millions of likes on pictures of them looking really buff that's great, but I, I don't think that makes them a model. Mm. I think, you know, it's great to advertise healthy eating. It's great to advertise healthy living. Um, but this whole kind of, you know, looking really fit on a in beach. In the gym, yeah. yeah it's like, beach. well, yeah. <laughs> it's not modeling. It's just like, you know. We touched on airbrushing and, and photo editing just a moment ago, Crab. And I think these are tools that increasingly are blurring the lines between what people think is real and what is fake, not just on social media, but across the industry, you know, billboards, TV adverts, magazines. How have you seen this idea manifest itself in your own life, but also in the industry and perhaps become a bit of a monster? Yeah, I mean, God forbid being a teenager today. 100%. (laughs) Honestly, I think, you know, the age we're at, we kind of narrowly narrowly missed the beast that is, you know, yeah, social media. We just had Facebook. Yeah. And you had to lie about your age. I only really? had Facebook, yeah, because Facebook was only a tool that you could use for university up until oh. about two years. Uh, we were in like year 10. I was in like year 10 and I was like forced to get Facebook. I didn't mm. have, I, cho- I chose not to have it. But loads of people I knew had it from like year seven, but they just had to lie about their age and say they were like 16 oh, really? or 17. <laughs> yeah. So, but if I had to do it now, I mean, WhatsApp, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Tumblr, Pinterest, oh, TikTok, yeah. the new one. There's all sorts. Or YouTube as well. I, I don't, I, yeah, I yeah. hate to be There is so much now. content out there that it's, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. It's but it's, yeah, yeah. You, can lit, you can drown in it. You can get lost in hours and hours and hours of content that, um, you know, isn't educating you for the better. It is just filling your brain with, it's just an overload, I think. Mm. And yeah, I mean, it is a beast, like you say. I think, um, I guess in a personal sense, I know I'm, I've, I've tried really hard to actually cut back on following um, kind of these aspirational, air mm. quotes, um, people and follow more inspirational people. Um, you know, people that actually stand for something and, you know, when you when you're going through a feed you're seeing positive things rather than you know aspirational things that aren't you know doing anything for your life really so do you mean those like bullshit quotes that people put on instagram no, no. i don't mean i'm following all sorts of like but first like coffee, your light you is know. your only cloud or something <laughs> stupid yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah yeah no no none of that but i think there is there is a lot of like i say there's content out there that can educate you mm. and you know instagram 
profiles you can follow that yeah i, I think don't make you have fomo yeah exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and don't make you feel you know shit about yourself they can really kind of uplift you and make you see things in different lights um and yeah i guess i just think i couldn't be a teenager again mm. today like they just there's too much there's mm. too much out there. why is this video editing and photo editing tools why are they dangerous because it's it's fake you know it's not real and it's not um it's it's selling something that is ne- is completely unattainable which you know just as a young person is so dangerous because you're not kind of i guess you're not as well equipped to look at something and you know you just take it face value mm. if you see a picture of a female um kind of influencer whatever it is and they've got this kind of tiny tiny waist and, it, and the hourglass figure so yeah to speak. exactly yeah. and these bright white teeth and bright blue eyes um and you know they're on a beach whatever it is you you would think that was life you would think that was mm. real and you might think oh you know that's in in five years time when i'm 21 whatever mm. i'll look like that with I'll a really like, like shit caption as if they've just like yeah made it really like uh what's the right phrase like casual about it yeah yeah it's like the beach is always a good idea yeah it's like, well yeah nice work if you can get it but yeah. i mean <laughs> so and half the time you know the other thing is people will you know post things and they're not even in the place they say they are and i just think it's all there's so much kind of there's this so disinformation much isn't it yeah, yeah there's so much falsity that i think is just damaging for you know i guess young people and people of all ages really but particularly young people because like i say they're not as the brains aren't developed you know yeah. they aren't they aren't as equipped to detect the bullshit as perhaps other people are yeah you know you're less I mean? cynical aren't you yeah, you're more inclined sure. to kind of see something and be like wow rather than yeah. like oh piss off i've got work tomorrow mm. you know i think you're you're more inclined at a younger age to to want things that now you know you and i might look at and know aren't achievable what do you think about um this is probably not the right phrase but face filters as well like on instagram and snapchat i've seen a lot of girls that i know criticize these filters because they basically don't make you look like yourself mm. anymore yeah i mean what would you have to say about that i mean i suppose it all really... some some fun ones isn't there but yeah. the, the ones that are kind of more actually like changing what you look like mm. seem a bit worrying to well me. there's ones now where it's like like i've said make your teeth whiter mm. or your eyes brighter um yeah i mean it's it's all it's all one in the same isn't it it's all adding to this kind of <laughs> you know it's fake culture isn't it yeah, yeah and you know it's not it it it's not a positive thing at mm. all but you know it exists and i suppose you just have to be wary and you, you know you just have to have awareness you just have to to know that what you're taking in and looking at isn't you know don't take everything in basically mm. <laughs> do you do you think this bubble's gonna burst do you think that we'll see a reversal of these this trend of sort of everyone trying to be an Instagram influencer or um, do you think it's probably going to get worse before it gets better? I I think it's, I think it's actually now it's gotten worse and mm. it's getting better because I think people are more, are following people who, you know, are funny, do, you know, do something that is entertaining or inspirational. Um, I don't know about you, but I feel now it's just such a saturated market, this whole sort of influencer sphere that everyone's just one in the same. You kind of want to follow someone who's bringing something a bit new, 
to you know your feed um and you know it's a little bit cheesy but i quite like following people who you know are just posting you know like random mundane things because mm. it, it it is quite entertaining in a funny mm. kind of way um i follow do you know the comedian Chris Ramsey? Yeah, I do know Chris Ramsey. I don't yeah. follow him though. No, no, I don't follow yeah. him. His wife, Rosie Ramsey. Oh, right, okay. She is so, so, so funny. And she literally just posts from like the loo. <laughs> and right. It's, and it's like, but things like that are great because it's like, it is, it's just sort of this new wave of influencer that's like, she's just, she's not influencing anyone or, mm. you know, but she's just bringing something normal and, and boring to. Yeah. And she's not making a massive effort when she does it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, well, artworks, DJ Artworks, one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. Okay. Like he know. is so funny on Instagram. Like one time he did a, like, like a like an Instagram live and then got bored because he had lo- accidentally locked himself in his own bathroom whilst doing like um, decorating in his house and like the doorknob fell off and he was like, right, I'm here in this bathroom and I can't get out and my wife doesn't come home for the next eight hours. <laughs> so I'm just going to start doing these things that, and he just basically like, he like, he got really bored. He started putting like toilet roll over his head. Like he started like, just like doing Q and A's with people on Instagram. Like that shit is funny to me, yeah. but I just find that randomness like really funny. Cause it seems like he's just having a laugh rather than someone putting loads and loads of effort into making it look like they're not putting loads and loads of effort in. That's yeah. what I hate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I completely get you. I try and follow people that, give me a bit of a laugh and a, yeah, and a, a bit, bit of a respite. Yeah, 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 exactly. All for them, all for them. This last section of uh, the topic, we're going to switch up a little bit. So this is something <laughs> you wanted to do, Crab. So yep. you're going to basically ask me a few questions about social media mm. and I'm going to answer them. Then we'll have a little bit of a discussion afterwards. Is that right? Is that good? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so fire away. Okay. Well, I just, I was interested to know, do you remember when you got a phone and what functions it had your first yes. phone so my first phone was a Nokia 3210 or 3220 it had vintage um, light up like things sticking out the side of the phone that basically said mug me um, whenever the phone used to go off and all it had was phone text like some really weird ringtones one of them was like Calypso or something like that um, and like Snake yep. and then the phone I got after that was in year 9 and I got the Motorrazor flip phone that everyone oh, got. Yeah, yeah. Hello, Moto. I got mm-hmm. that one. And then the one I got after that was, again, following the trends, Sony Ericsson with the Bluetooth, where you put the phones next to each other and oh, yeah. to send each other a phone. You're like, oh my God, I heard this sick song. You're like, yeah, quick, quick, Bluetooth me it. You sit yeah. there for like 10 minutes watching yeah. the phones <laughs> send the song to each other. Yeah. And then after that, I got, I think I got really late onto the BB hype. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So eventually, I think I was on the BB hype when I was in sixth form. Okay. And then from that on, from the BB, getting rid of that, it was iPhones all the way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I feel like we just had a little history of your... Good nostalgia there. I'm sure there's a few people <laughs> a listening who, uh, who um, phone. echo what I've, what I've my, my phone history. Yeah. yeah. I remember my first phone, it was like a special edition Kath Kidston print Nokia. Wow. Was it and £10? I, pounds? Um, Must have been close I, to that. I, do you know what? I don't remember how much it cost, but I remember being absolutely gassed. I was so, <laughs> so chuffed with it. Like, it had, like, all these flowers around. I just thought it was so Cat cute. Kids that used to make phones. This is mad. Oh, no, she didn't make the phone. It was, like, a one-off like, Oh, right, I see. Okay. Done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. But I thought it was like, so chic. You know, it was a little, like, you flick it up. 
I thought, you know, I really did. I thought I was, I was the coolest, coolest girl in school. Um, but yeah, I had like no functions. And mm. before that, I'd literally just had to borrow my mum's The home text. phone. The home well, phone was great. Home you used to phone people yeah. up and you used to go, uh, hi, is uh, James in? And then they'd have to go, yeah, can we, James? Yeah, it's Freddie on the phone. Yeah. And then the phone up someone else like, Matt. No, it's Matt's mum. And then, like, I have to get Matt to answer the phone. And then if they didn't pick up, you didn't go out. Yeah. God, those are the days. I, <laughs> do you know what? I actually, I, I was shameless. I used to ring like, you know, in your class, you'd get like a class phone list. Did you? Yeah. I didn't um, get that. What? So you had to know was... someone well enough to get the home phone. That no. was that was when I was in school. We had a, we had like the class list of all the home numbers in case there was like an emergency or whatever. You know, this sounds suspect to me. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, if there was a snow day and you'd have to right. ring around and I don't know, whatever. Before the days of internet when you could just check on mm. the school website, you know. Um, well, not before internet existed, but it just, you know. <laughs> wasn't it advanced? It wasn't stone yeah, ages, yeah. but... Anyway, um, yeah, I used to just like call boy, like call boys from the class. It'd be their mum pick up. Be like, oh, it'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 it's, it's Jack there. And they'd be like, mm, yeah. And they'd pass them over to the to the boy. I really, really remember this. This is like, this is like your young courting old days. Flirting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just, I don't know why I did it. I'd like ring them for a chat, and they'd be like, <laughs> they'd be like, I'll see you at school tomorrow then. <laughs> They must have thought I was... Oh, I mean, yeah. Should we go to the next question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like to think things have changed, but probably not. Um, Anyway, the point I was trying to make is just that, you know, our earliest memories of social media, which we've already said, you know, with Facebook and stuff, Mm. it was very much like, I don't know about you, but for me, it was kind of just a place to, yeah, chat to your friends, like put pictures up. And it wasn't so, yeah, it wasn't so like... Corporate. Yeah, and it mm. wasn't so saturated with, you know, there wasn't such thing as an influencer. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we're just lucky that we've that we've existed yeah. in a time pre- The, the closest thing that I, found, I used to get to a trend, like what is now deemed a trend, was on Facebook, right? So when, we, when I was like year nine, like UK Funky House was really big. And um, there was a song called uh, Are You Gonna Bang No by Funky D. Yep. And of the many songs that got parodied, I used to just... Always, always used to happen was people used to like, like fake pages of puns on the song. So people, so people in my school would be like, "You got oyster, but are you gonna tap though?" And they'd yeah, like yeah. a page like that. It's like you got fanna, but are you gonna tango? And it's just like 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 stew. That was what a trend was back then. Yeah. It was really like pure. No, so I remember so going true. back to my Facebook when I was like 22, 21 and I was finding all these old Facebook pages I'd like. I like, know, I know. Don't you just hate it when you have to go into school on a snow day or some like oh shit God, like I that? Know. I'd liked all sorts. Of, I remember doing this as well and I'd liked all sorts of things like when when he doesn't text me back. <laughs> Like really, and you'd hope that it would like come up. See that you'd come up, that you'd liked it. Honestly, like and and MSN. Yeah, MSN. MSN, Yeah, every you used to type. You used to like get those shortcut keys where like every letter would turn into an animation. Yeah, you used to do that, or like phrases would turn into animation. Like BRB would turn into like a penguin dancing or something like that. And do you remember nudge? Yeah, nudge. nudge Yeah, yeah. I feel like you were a nudger. No, I was not. I was too socially awkward to do that. I get too much social anxiety over sending a nudge. Yeah, I I was a big big MSN. Yeah. You'd get in from school, you'd run upstairs, you'd be like, don't talk to me, mom. Yeah, BRB. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, yeah, I was kind of hoping this would circulate back to just the fact that it was like you say, it was pure. It was kind Mm. of. It was it was an innocent thing for us to go home and chat to our friends on on social media and you know now I think it's just so scary to me that kids at like twelve are 
you know, absorbing just the so much. Mm. Um, and they're always online. Yeah. There's no like, we, at least when we had like MSN, when we used to get home, you'd be like, okay, I'm signing off. And mm. you'd be like, done. Now yeah. it's like, there is no, th- 3 p.m., that's, that's not, yeah. it's not like a thing anymore. Yeah. When you, when like 12 o'clock at night, that's when everyone signs off. Do you know what mm. I mean? And it's dangerous because as well, it gives this kind of false impression that you're having social interactions when you're, you're not because it's, it's all through, you know, social media. It's all through comments and likes. Mm. It's not actual conversation. It's not, you mm. know, actual kind of, you know, face-to-face interaction. It's really just, yeah, giving I mean, someone a like yeah. isn't, you know. I mean, I know, I mean, this may, I'm kind of making myself sound my age here, but I, I was talking to my sister and she said that the, the trend in like young people now, like I don't know, age 21 and under, whatever, is to only have three posts on your Instagram profile. Did you know is about that? Right? That's apparently like a thing now. Oh. Like they only have three posts. <laughs> I'm and well when, uncool. I know. <laughs> and then when they get another one, and when they make the fourth one, they delete the one, the oldest one. Right. They only, so they only have three. Who cares? I know, but how, apparently that's a thing now. How can you care so much? Yep. Honestly, like there's not enough hours in the day. God, yeah, that's scary. Right, but, next question. Go on, next oh, question. Well, I think that was it. Honestly. Was that it? Oh, <laughs> right. I was expecting like a list of like 10. <laughs> no, okay. no. No, because I was actually going to hit you with some stats. Go on, hit me with some stats. Um, well, Ofcom, a report from 2019 this year, um, said that... Eighty-three percent of twelve to fifteen-year-olds own a smartphone. Be that an that's iPhone. very scary. And ninety-nine percent of that group go online for at least twenty-one to twenty-two hours per week. Um, yeah, that's that's a really worrying stat. It's just crazy to think that twelve-year-olds in a week is in five like their school week, or does um, that mean like, I would think seven days? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's still like four to three to four hours maybe a day, yeah. if not more. And that's I mean, on average. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you and I kind of talking about the, the phones that we had when we were that age. Mm. We didn't have those functions. You know, no. I would, yeah, you know, you'd send a text. Be or, here at 5 p.m. Exactly. I haven't got any more time to type out that yeah. text. Have the essay text was so rare. Yeah. Isn't it? If you got an essay text, you're like, man, this person really likes me. Oh, yeah. And, do you remember, and it had to come in two messages. <laughs> yeah. Because it was like too. the phone couldn't function, yeah. like it like blow up. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's just it's crazy. And sixty nine percent of twelve to fifteen year olds now have social media profile. Um, is that you, any profile, or does that mean just like one particular one? Any. Yeah, any sure. But I mean, you know, even so, it's like it's just that the amount of time that teenagers are now dedicating to. You know, it's almost like a hobby. It's just sad. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it just scares me that, you know. What mental health implications do you think that has? I think it has, like, extreme, you know, a, like a breadth of ramifications because, you know, like I've said before, if they're just constantly looking at these, you know, aspirational but completely unattainable ideals, mm. um, which, you know, aren't real or are edited, you know, it it just feeds them all the wrong messages. It kind of, and it's this also, you know, even just with influencer culture, it's that idea that you can, that could be your career. Mm. Um, And I think I was talking to someone recently who said their niece had, you know, been like, oh, when I'm older, I want to be an influencer. God, that's scary. I know. And it's like, it's mad. You know, I think when I left primary school, I was like, 
I'm going to be a brain surgeon or whatever, you know, <laughs> something completely ridiculous, which again is like an unattainable thing, but at least it wasn't, you know, I'm going to sell booty on Instagram. Or like, like <laughs> diet pills. Yeah, exactly. You know, and that's the other thing. People advertising products that are very harmful. Are, you know, yeah, to help you lose weight. Appetite killing lollipops or something like that. Yeah, is that what yeah. Kim Kardashian got in trouble for? Yeah, and like teas that, you know, they're not going to say it, but essentially just flush you out. And right. You then... A colonic, basically, yeah. but in food drink form. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it, it's so unhealthy. It's not medical. And, you know, it's just complete false advertising. It's like, look at me. I'm looking great after three weeks on my tea detox. Mm. It's like... You can't be telling a twelve, you know, a twelve-year-old, a fifteen-year-old that they shouldn't be eating; they should be drinking this tea mm. for three meals a day, like because they might believe it. And it's mm. just, you know, it's just, it's so damaging. It's, yeah. it's ridiculous. I think that the last point to really end on is what is when I started thinking about this the other day, and I'm not sure if you had the same environment when you were in school, crab. When when me and Matt will probably attest this in the corner and silently nod. Um, when we were in school, all our schools were sort of, there were people who knew each other from different schools and it was a very sort of insular environment. And there was the so-called like boats, you know, the faces of in each school. And Mm -hmm. they always used to like boast about how they knew people from different schools and all that sort of stuff. But when you leave school, you realize that a lot of these people are losers and you never hear from them again. Mm. And you, you stop thinking that, your world is your school network and you realise that people in the adult world don't give a fuck about that. But I've realised that this, the rise of, you know, ever increasing social media forms is just going to make people feel even more FOMO Mm. about not knowing a certain person in their year or not going to that certain party because those people who are particularly popular will advertise how popular they think they are to a multitude of platforms that mm. when we were in school was only really just about Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I think, you know, as we keep saying, you're just consuming things all the time. And if it's, you know, pictures from a party that you weren't at, but like, you don't even know the person, you shouldn't feel offended that you weren't there. But like, of course, you know, if you're young and you, you, are, and you feel pressured and you feel yeah, outcast you or if you're isolated then you'll feel like you want to be invited to that party don't you I mean that's yeah. just natural because you, you're struggling to develop how to manage your emotions properly and you're trying to realise your own identity and mm. not wanting to conform to what someone else tells you yeah and it's this manicured reality as well because you know I love that phrase manicured <laughs> reality so good I'll start using that because you know people are only going to post pictures that make whatever it is they're doing look fun or, mm. you know, cool, whatever. If you're at a party and it's a bit, you know, it's not good, you, you're going to post pictures of, you know, everyone posing to make mm. it look really fun. Um, Even if there was like five people at the party and it was shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like my night last night. <laughs> <laughs> wow, savage to whoever was holding that party. Sorry, hun. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I think, yeah, yeah. It's, it's dangerous that, yeah, there's so many platforms now where... Yeah, you, you would feel like you're missing out on things and like you're not doing enough with your own life. Our final topic of conversation, Crab, and it's one I have with all my special guests, is a general natter about our mental health. So firstly, how would you say your mental health is at the moment, pal? Good, generally. I yeah. think, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm... I'm 
by nature, I think I am quite, uh, you know, kind of happy-go-lucky kind of person. I mm. mean, you know, like everyone, you have your bad days, you have your down times. But I think generally speaking, yeah, things are good. Things mm. are grand. Um, yeah. Yeah, and if you if you felt comfortable saying what what mental health issues if if any do you live with um, in your day to day life and if they if you don't have any don't you can mm. say that um, and if they if you do have them how do they affect you? I mean, I think day to day I I am lucky to be able to say I don't have anything that affects me you know in my everyday life but you know we already spoke about um, last year when you know my skin was really bad and mm. I think you know it taught me kind of some valuable lessons, I guess, in just like self-confidence. Like you've kind of, you've, you know, when it was at its worst, I think I, you know, I had this mentality that like, if I just pretended it wasn't there and I went out and was kind of, then people aren't gonna notice it. Do you know mm. what I mean? And if, if you're you, a kind person, you wouldn't point it out, would you? Unless well, you're, you'd hope, yeah. You'd hope so, yeah, yeah. 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 But I think, you know, I, I stick to this mentality that, you know, if you're, People are only gonna. People will be drawn to you know, a good, a positive, like confident sort of vibe. You know, most of the time, and so I kind of think what you put out there, you know, you'll get back. And um, yeah, I I think day to day, nothing affects me too much negatively. But you know, I've had last year with um, aesthetic struggles and whatever. Mm. You know, I think I just learned to. Yeah, like trust trust the process a bit, I guess, mm. and also um, yeah, just kind of blind blind confidence. Just go out there and you know. And that's a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think so. I don't know. What age do you think you were when you first realised that you know we all have mental health? Mm. I always say this, and not everyone has mental health issues. But what age do you think you were when you first realised that maybe one of your down days wasn't a physical thing? Maybe it was something that was actually going inside in your yeah, mind. I think. I, I don't know if I could pinpoint like the moment, mm. but you know, I was never the most, um, I went to like a very academic school. Um, you know, it was a, a great school. Um, Feel free to give them a shout out if you sure, want. Sure. Dr. Yeah. Jalen is big up, big up. Um, <laughs> but you know, it was a really good school. It was a state school, but it was, you know, it's one of the best in the country academically. And I kind of just wasn't meant to be there. <laughs> right. Like, what I, do you mean by that? As in, I had a great time. I had great friends. I was kind of involved in like every club. You know, I'm one of those. I was, I was kind of... You chucked yourself in. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was that annoying person who was like in that team, in that team, also a prefect, also this. But like academically, I, you know, I was behind mm. a lot of my friends and I guess, you know, the school, yeah, wasn't probably for me in that sense that I couldn't keep up. And I think there was moments maybe when I was, you know, there, so I guess 12 upwards, where that really affected kind of how I, like my own self-worth, I guess, you sure. know, I, I would, I think I got quite good at, you know, because I was part of all these extracurriculars and stuff, I was very, you know, I was very vocal and whatever at school, but it would then kind of be, at, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not getting the results, you know, that's school, you need to leave with, with good marks. Mm. So, you know, you can leave with all these great memories, but at the end of the day, you know, to get the results that matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sure. And I think, you know, um, there was definitely moments back sort of then when I was a teenager where I guess I would, yeah, I'd get really down because I thought, okay, you know, great. I'm like the lead role in the school play, mm. but 
I just got a D in like my maths GCSE mock, Mm -hmm. whatever it was, you know, at the time. And I was always kind of trying to balance this, you know, being very like social and, Mm. you know, being very, you know, I guess like being liked and being kind of, yeah, known at school, but then also not quite fitting the, you know... The academic sort of um, stereotype, so to speak. Yeah, Yeah. I guess so. And I think, yeah, so I struggled a little bit with that. But, you know, never... I'm not trying to, you know... I I was never failing miserably. Mm. But I think that in itself was something I had to, you know, overcome that because the standard was high, even if I was getting, you know, a B, Mm. I was was thinking and I was being made to feel a little bit that... By teachers or just by the environment? by by the school. Oh, really? really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think um, (laughs) there was was a moment when they didn't think I would get back into sixth form. Mm. Um, They didn't think I'd get the right GCSEs. And I just was like, oh, oh shit. Like, and even that seemed like a possibility to me. You know, you kind of just assume you're, you know, just going to get your GCSEs and go to sixth form and mm. go to uni. Da, da, da. It all seemed quite kind of aggressive yeah. C for me. And then there was this one moment where, yeah, the, I think the head of head of my year was like, you know, there's been discussions. We're not too sure if you're going to get back in. And I was like, oh. So it sort of like dawned on oh you dear. a bit. Yeah. yeah. You know, because even though I'd been doing all this stuff, clubs and whatever else, yeah, like if I wasn't going to get back in sixth form, what was that all for? Um, mm. And, you know, luckily that didn't happen. Um, I actually smashed my GCSEs. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, it was, yeah, that was definitely something that I I think was the first kind of, I guess, mental health struggle I had mm. in that, you know, yeah, I didn't feel like I was necessarily living up to potential that everyone else was. Mm. And, yeah, yeah, I guess I struggled a bit with that. But equally, yeah, you know, it hasn't affected me too much. I still, sure. still kind of, you know, did did all right for mm. myself. <laughs> what triggers, if any, do you have in your mental health in your life? So it could be like something that someone says to you that might make you kind of feel very down or it might be a place, it might be um, anything really. It could be anything. So for example, like in my life, I find mistakes, making mistakes really hard. And that really, really triggers my rumination. Like if I make a really bad, like not really bad, if I make a bad mistake at work, I can like hate myself for like three hours, like proper, like proper hate myself, doubt my own future career prospects. Like it can be really, really bad for me. But then once it passes, I sort of get a bit better. And if I can resolve that mistake, then I feel a lot better. But is there any triggers for you that sort of affect your mental health in that sense? I don't even know if I'm aware of the triggers, honestly. Mm. Like I, I, I think, like I've said, I'm I'm lucky that I don't have things that you know get me down day to day, and you know I'm quite I'm quite good at picking myself up, and you know I'm lucky that I have great friends and you know whatever pe- people I can talk to, and also I'm a very big talker, so like you know if I do have a problem, um, you know, sorry to everyone who has to hear about it for the next <laughs> like however many days it's bothering me but that's kind of how I deal with you know I'll just I, I like voice everything mm. probably too much you know I'll like give a lot away very quickly and that's you know that's just that's just who you are though it's just it? me baby. Yeah. but um <laughs> but yeah I think I think I don't really know what necessarily triggers triggers me to feel I think you know it's just like whatever comes around really mm. like something something bad gets said yeah I won't feel great about it but you know, I'd like to think I'm quite good at, at not sweating the small stuff. Mm. Um, 
you know, it's a quality I think I've inherited from my dad, actually. Yeah. He's very, like, I think my mum and dad are very yin and yang. My mum's quite, my dad likes to call it passionate. She's quite right. sensitive, <laughs> but in a great way. Like, she's mm. she's just, you know, she's she is passionate and she's emotive, but my dad is very, like, relaxed and... Sort of more balanced. Yeah, yeah. just, like, nothing, he doesn't sweat it. Like, mm. he really doesn't. And I think I've got a little bit of both, definitely. Um, but... But yeah, so I think I think I don't know is the answer to that question. Actually, no, I don't know what my, fine. what my triggers are. But you know, I, like anyone, you know, I have have days and whatever where I'm like, oh god, you know, where's my job going? Mm. You know, I have those fears, but you know, it's like I guess we we have the the privilege of being young, and you know, um, I kind of just like to think everything will fall into place. Sure, and then just finally. Um, a sort of what tools and methods do you use to improve your own mental health or you when you do want to do a bit of self-care what do you do and then secondly um, how do you support friends in your own social group who might have mental health issues themselves sure um, I think for myself um, I definitely find really simple things honestly like cooking sure <laughs> I find cooking like very very therapeutic you know I don't even really follow recipes I'll just kind of buy a load of stuff and I find it really relaxing just to like pop some music on and and like cook something um sometimes goes well sometimes doesn't but you know it's it's just a nice kind of process you see something come together um I also have the last year been doing a bit of boxing nice not like fights no, we're not <laughs> maybe expect, one day what was but... what was your boxing what would your boxing name be oh, like Jess the something crab what would it be million, the terminator or million dollar million baby. dollar million dollar baby just the, the million dollar Bailey, the, ba- the million dollar baby crab. You'd have yeah. to get some trademark issues around that. Sure, yeah. sure. I'd have, yeah, I'd have a lawsuit on my hands, <laughs> but whatever. Um, but actually, just yeah, I find that really, it's just so good. Like, get so much. That's like a release. Yeah, yeah. It really doesn't. You know, half the time I don't even know I have anything to release, but I'll kind of be doing it, and I'm like, you know, the guy I do it with, he'll be like. You're, you're hitting me like a mosquito and I'm like okay fine like you know really like bash him um and it's it's just really been like great for me I think just uh I do it on a Wednesday morning as well which is quite a nice sort of middle of the okay, week okay switch it up yeah yeah and like the morning I think is a really good time to to do something like that because it's quite high adrenaline it's quite high kind of intensity and um I never believed people when they said that like exercising in the morning set them up for the day. I was like, but surely not. You're just tired. And mm. But it really does. Like and now Wednesday is like my favorite day of the week because I do that for an hour, do my boxing and then go to work. And I just feel like very, very alert and like, mm. you know, and I think it's kind of a cool hobby. I like telling people I do boxing. <laughs> That's what I told you all. And I mean, with regards to helping my own friends who, you know, might have struggles. I think, like I said before, really just talking and always, always being someone who they know they can talk to, um, which I like to think they do. You know, my best friends, I think, would would definitely, you know, rely on me to be someone that they can just come and unload to. And I'm fine with that. I like being that person. So, yeah, just talking. Um, yeah, talking everything out, I think, is just really important. And, you know, never taking a stance of um, authority, you know, trying to say, this is what you should do, because, you know, it might not be what works for them. But just, yeah, just talking. I think, you know, like like what you're doing here, you mm. know, really just expressing 
what it is you're thinking and even if it makes no sense you know that's totally fine like I always say you know just say whatever it is and you know talk it out and vent um, yeah and vent <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this edition of the Just Checking In podcast. Crab, thank you so much for being my special guest on this fashion-themed edition and for checking in with me. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels, tell your friends or work colleagues about it, or be feeling really generous, write us a few on iTunes. We hope to check in you again very soon, and remember, it's always okay to vent. Bye.